Hallelujah. Second Kings chapter 8. Amen. I notice many are standing for the word. If you want to join, amen, is it's kind of our normal custom. Beginning in verse 1, it says that then spake Elisha, Elisha being a prophet of God, and he spake unto the woman whose son he had restored to life, and he said, Arise and go thou in thine household and sojourn wheresoever thou canst sojourn. For the Lord hath called for a famine, and it shall also come upon the land seven years. And the woman arose and did after the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household, and she sojourned in the land of the Philistines for seven years. It came to pass at the seven years' end that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines, and she went forth to cry unto the king for her house and for her land. In other words, when she had come back from her journeys, come back from her time away in the land of the Philistines, somebody had taken over all of her property and moved into her house. And so she went to the king to ask the king if he could restore back to her that which belonged to her. Verse 4, it shifts us now into the king's palace and what's taking place there. This is the king, he was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God. This is the servant of Elisha. The king said to him, Tell me, I pray thee, all of the great things that Elisha hath done came to pass. As he was telling the king how he had restored a dead body to life, that behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life cried to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman. And this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. And so the king appointed unto her a certain officer and said, Restore all that was hers and all of the fruits of the field since the day that she left the land, even until now. Amen. Amen. What a great story. Praise God. Before you're seated, I just want to ask you a question. Has anyone in this place ever had something happen which you look back on it and you said, wow, what a coincidence? Or maybe maybe you just you met someone out while you were vacationing, you know, thousands of miles away from home, and you were somebody that you knew, and you know, what a coincidence. We ran into each other. It's something that you, there's no reason for that to have happened that way, but it happened. Or maybe it was something that was more impactful than that, more lasting than that. You were just at the right place at the right time when maybe you overheard a conversation or something happened that changed your life. And, and you look at that, you know, what a coincidence. Well, I just want to say, I don't believe those things, many of these things are a coincidence when God is involved. It's not a coincidence. I don't believe that it's a coincidence that you are here today. 
I want to say that again, and I'm not speaking to your neighbor. I'm speaking to you. It's not a coincidence that you are here today. God has ordered it. God has, God has made it possible for you to be in this place, in this house, here today. And as long as that's the case, amen, why don't we say, all right, God, if it's not a coincidence that I'm here, then, Lord, I'm going to lift up my hands right now. Come on, and let's just all say a prayer. Lord, right now, God, whatever the reason is, Lord, I pray that you would just get a hold of me, that you would help me to realize, God, what you have, Lord, for me in this place, in this hour, so that I don't leave the same way that I came in. Lord, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the things that are not a coincidence. But, Lord, it's divinely ordered by you. Jesus' name, Jesus' name, you can be seated here today. You know, I recall a uh, testimony or somebody in our church who just a couple of years ago, they came across somebody who was stranded alongside the road here in Kendallville, and they had a flat tire, and they ended up stopping there and, and helping them with their flat tire and, and change that. But it was not just a simple change of a tire, but it was a change of direction for this, this couple who was, who was stranded alongside the road. It was a change in their life because, because of that conversation or because of that individual who stopped there, they began, uh, or they were introduced to a brand new relationship with God that they didn't know could exist. Was it a coincidence that they had a flat tire on that day and that that person ended up being the one who would stop and help them? I don't believe it was a coincidence. I read a story the other day about a young boy who was, who was playing in his backyard on, on his tricycle and he knew that he wasn't supposed to go near the train tracks that were there close to his, his backyard, but he decided Nevertheless, that he, he wanted to cross over the train tracks and he was going to go and play on the other side. And it just so happened that his tricycle got stuck right there on the tracks. And this was a very bad place for this to happen because right where their house was, it was just beyond a bend in the railroad tracks. And so any kind of train that was coming, it would, there was no possible way that they could see what was there. This young boy who was then stuck on the train tracks just beyond the bend. And so this uh, mother, she, she happens to look out in her backyard and she notices frantically that her boy is no longer in the backyard. And she's, she goes, she dashes out uh, after him and she notices that he's there on the train tracks. But then the same time there is a train that's coming around that bend. The conductor who was on that train, there was no way that he could have seen the boy in time to stop. There was no possible way. And yet, this mother, she does not get to her son in time for that tra- before that train ends up getting to him, but the train stops just mere feet away from the boy. He was there. He was kind of oblivious to it. He's still pedaling his bicycle or his tricycle, trying to get out of there. And, and the train stops. Well, the reason that the train stopped, it was found out, was that the conductor of the train had become ill. And that he had let go of all of the, uh, all of the apparatuses, the control levers, all of this, and automatically appri- applied the brake. Now, this was long before they, he ever came around the bend. But he had fallen ill, and here he was, let go of it all. And the train comes to a stop, just mere feet. Now, some might say, well, that's quite a coincidence. 
The question becomes, is it coincidence or does God have his hand in it? Does God have his hand in things that that when you see them, it says, well, there's an explanation for it. There's an explanation for why this took place like this. You know, he fell ill. And wow, that's it's amazing that it happened. Well, I believe that God orders things in such a way so that there are uh, there are opportunities for his his hand to begin to reach down and to protect to reach down and to provide reach down in different places. And maybe it's you here today and you say, well, I can see this set of circumstances and these coincidences that I'm here today. But I don't really know that God ordered it all. But I beg to differ. I believe that God's hand has been in your life this whole time. That he's ordering your life in such a way so that he could have a moment where he can intervene and he can touch you. And you can then say, all right, God, I want to reach back to you. And I want to reach into a place of the holy. I want to reach into a place of the supernatural. And it's in those moments of the, of the, uh, when you come into interaction with God or you have an intersection with God that things can change for the rest of your life. See, I don't believe that it's a coincidence. I don't believe that it was a coincidence that the conductor fell ill just in time for the boy's life to be spared. I believe God's hand was on that. Turn turn to your neighbor and say, it's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. I just saw a friend of mine that made three Facebook posts yesterday. He's He's a pastor in Georgia, and all three of these... Uh, posts that he made were of men that he baptized yesterday on a Saturday in his, his church in Georgia. The first man was uh, this this man, I believe, seventy two or seventy four years old, and and uh, he had said in his post that this man's family had been praying for him and just just talking uh, talking to him about scripture and the Bible and all these things for fifty years, fifty years, and he finally made a decision. That he was going to have his sins washed away. And so he came to the church that day and he was baptized in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a wonderful thing. The second picture was of another man. This is a a man who was a 20-year military veteran. Now he's enlisted in the Lord's army. Amen. He was baptized in Jesus' name. He was this, this man. The third man was a man named Roderick. By coincidence... Roderick was there at the church yesterday, and he was an employee of an audio-video company that the church had been, been uh, paying to, to help them with some of their audio-video needs over these past couple of years. And he'd been in, in and out of the church several times, just kind of helping them with different things. And just so happened that he was there yesterday, and he saw, as he was working, doing his work, he just happened to see these two men getting baptized. And he came to this young pastor, and he said, all right, it's my turn next. And so Roderick went down in Jesus' name. Now, was it coincidence that Roderick was there at the church on that day and that he saw these other men respond to the gospel to have their sins washed away? No, I don't believe that it was a coincidence. In the same way, I don't believe it was a coincidence that you are in this service today. I believe that God has perfectly designed this moment for you to have an opportunity to respond to his promptings. 
For you to respond to him when he's saying, come on, draw closer to me. Come closer. Come closer. I, I want you to come closer so that you can know me in a, in a deeper way than you've ever known me before. See, some people believe, believe that all things in this life, they can be explained by mere coincidence. But there is a God. There is a God, I believe, that he is able to construct the perfect situations out of the midst of the chaos. He's able to put things in perfect alignment out of the midst of the chaos, things that are unexplainable, things that are supernatural. And I am convinced that there is a God who holds all things in his hand. I believe that there is a God who he... God is not overwhelmed by the vastness of his creation. God created all, it just took him just a couple of words and he spit out all of the heavens. A couple of words that he spoke and the light came into existence and the earth began to form and all, come on, all of human life was set in motion. And it was that God who he, he created all of these things. And so God then didn't get so consumed in trying to manage all of that, that he's not able to get into the little bitty places of our heart and the little times in our life to, to construct it in such a way that I'm here in this moment in the very place where God is reaching down to me and he's saying come up higher come up closer to me come on I'm drawing you close come on I'm not you're here for a reason I'm not well it's not circumstantial that you're in that place right now but I'm drawing you come on to come closer to me right now while you're not so worried about all the things in your life when we get consumed come on with everything else we can't think about what God come on what God is trying to do but when God orders things all of a sudden clarity comes to mind clarity comes to mind and we say all right god i can feel it god i can feel you drawing come on is there somebody that today throughout the service you felt god drawing you you felt something god drawing you closer to him when this is the hand of god this is the hand of God reaching down into this service right here. This is one of the reasons why we gather. This is one of the reasons that I, you know, I'm thankful for technology. I'm thankful we can broadcast our sermons when we're sick. We're not here, able to be here. But there's something different about when you get into the presence of God. Come on, you can, um, and you feel this. His hand, come on, drawing you closer. You feel, come on, the body of Christ, all of us in one accord. Come on, coming together and saying, Lord, Lord, meet us here. Lord, meet us in this place. Come on, and he comes down and he meets us. Come on, it's not a circumstance. Come on, it's not just a coincidence that we are here. But God is here in this midst, in the midst of us. And he says, let me meet you right where you are. The Bible account that we started with today and didn't really begin there in 2 Kings chapter 8. We already know this woman from Scripture. She was the woman that, along with her husband, her husband was an, an elderly gentleman. It seems to be that they were well off. She was um, uh, the one who, it, it appears, uh, to be the one that was kind of leading this effort. But she invited the prophet Elisha. And his servant Gehazi into their home. She noticed that he, this man, had been passing by their home time after time. And she perceived that he was a man of God or a prophet of God. And so she spoke to her husband and she said, let's build a room under our house so that he can come and he can stay here whenever he needs some lodging. 
And so Elisha agreed to that. He, he was thankful for it, very thankful for the lodging. This was uh, quite a, a journey from his home. He lived there in Carmel, but Mount Carmel, here she was, uh, about five, six hours north of there, almost directly north. And, um, and so Elisha traveling there, it would have always been nice to have somewhere that you can lay your head. And so one of these times when Elisha is staying with a woman, he prophesied to the woman that she was going to have a child soon. I mentioned that her husband was old in age. This was something that she thought was, she was, you know, never going to just happen for her. And so when Elisha comes to her and he tells her, you're going to have a child, she looks back at him and she says, man of God, don't mess with me. Or something like that. Don't you mess with my emotions. Having a child is the one thing that I have wanted most in my life. And my husband and I, we've tried and failed many times. So don't you just tell me this if it's not going to come true. Elisha, he assures her. He says, I prom- this promise that I've given to you, it's not a promise that's coming from me. This is a promise from God that you are going to have a child. And so the next time that Elisha comes through, the next time that he's passing through the area, they were introduced to the little boy who was the answer to that word from God. This beautiful little boy was everything that this woman ever wanted in her life. But it wasn't just a few years later that this boy, he started complaining of some severe headaches. One day he woke up. I don't know the cause of it. We don't know exactly uh, what, what happened, but it says that he was complaining that his head hurt and he was going out to his father in the field and he, he tells his dad, dad, my head is just hurting really bad. And then his dad noticing that his son is, is very ill or something is really wrong. He calls out to one of his servants or someone uh, who was out there in the fields with him and he says, pick him up, take him to his mother at, back at the house. He does that. He rushes him back to the house and he gets there and, and it says that uh, the, the mother just holds him there, lets, sets him on her, on her legs and is, is kind of bouncing her on, his la- on her lap. And, and, and then it says at noon, the boy died. He died. Grief stricken, this woman laid her son down on the bed right behind her. She saddled up a donkey, and she set out for Carmel, where the prophet Elisha lived. When she arrived, Elisha, he, he noticed from just a ways off, he's, he says, hey, that's, that's the Shunammite woman. That's, that's the woman. She, she always takes care of us. Uh, Gehazi, go, go check with her, make sure that everything's all right. So Gehazi rushes down to the woman. Is everything okay? Is, is, uh, are you all right? Is, is your husband okay? Is the boy all right? And, and you know, is, is everything, everything well? And her response is, it is well. She comes. She gets all the way to Elisha and she falls down at Elisha's feet and she begins to cry out to him and she's in distress and she's frustrated and and here she she, she is, why would you give me a son only for him to be taken away from me? Did I not say, don't deceive me? 
When you told me that I was going to have a child, I told you, come on, don't play this cruel joke on me. If I'm going to have this child, then I need to have this child. This is what I wanted most in life. She was there, and, and then she's crying out and, and to, the, to, the, to the servant of God, to the prophet. She said, why? Oh, why? Why would you do this to me? Why would you give him to me only for him to be taken away? See, Elisha now grieved in his own spirit. He tells the woman, I'll go. Where, come on, let's, let's go. Let's take care of this. I don't know why God did this. God hasn't revealed that to me yet, but I want to go. Let's go see the boy. Now, they're five, six hours away. It's taken her six hours to travel just to see that this boy's been dead since noon. It's six o'clock in the afternoon now. They've got to turn around. They've got to head back north six hours. This boy's dead, laying on, laying on the bed. They finally arrived. Twelve, where twelve hours earlier, this boy had been laid down on that bed. It's about midnight now. The prophet, he begins to pray. He walks into that room and he begins to pray, Lord, you haven't revealed to me why this took place. But Lord, I need an answer right now. Because Lord, you promised that this boy would be given to this woman. Lord, I pray that you, Lord, would have your way. And he felt the Lord impress upon him in that moment to lay his body out on top of that little boy's body on top of that bed. And so he puts his head, his, his, he begins to breathe breath into, the, into the, the mouth of that young boy. And it says he puts his eyes on his eyes and he's looking into the eyes of this dead child there on the bed. He begins, it says he stretches his hands out on the hands of this young child. And he's laying there and he's praying. As he prays, all of a sudden he begins to feel what was a cold, hard body begin to to feel that warmth enter back into that young child's body and he can feel it in his hands and he can feel it well there's no breath yet there's none of that but he can feel some life begin to pour back into this young child and so he gets back up and says he begins to pace around the house the prophet he's, he's like, okay all right i can see god you're working here well, anybody ever been there before You've been there and you, you can start to see God, be, he's doing the work, God, and you get a little anxious, all right, God, where, how are we going to finish this up? How are we going to, then he be, continues to pray. The boy's not breathing yet, but I believe it. I, I believe you're going to do something. Come on, some faith is starting to rise up. Faith is starting to rise up in the prophet. Okay, God, I can see this. I, I can see what you're doing here in Elisha. He, then he says, he goes back, he feels as he's praying, go back to the boy. Go a second time. I want you to lay your body on him a second time. And we're going to do the same thing. So he does. He lays his body up out on top of this young boy who's still laying there dead in the bed. Now has some warmth in his body. And uh, and he begins to breathe into his mouth and sets his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands. And and he is there. And then all of a sudden it says that the boy, he starts to sneeze. Seven times he sneezes and his eyes shoot open. Come on, now this, this is the miracle that Gehazi was telling the king about in the very moment that this young boy, no longer a young boy, walks into the room where the king was at when Gehazi is telling this story. In the very moment when this woman again was in need. 
Everything had been taken from her. Everything had been stolen from her. Come on, is there anybody in here who you've seen God provide for you before, but then you are in a moment where you say, God, I feel like everything's gone. All hope is lost. God, I feel like all hope is lost. I don't know where to go now. I know you provided for me before, but everything has been taken. God, it's been a long time since I've seen you provide. And he walks, or she walks into that room, and all of a sudden, Gehazi, who she knows him, he points to her and says, this is the one. This is the one I'm talking about. What a coincidence. What a coincidence that this woman would walk in right in the moment when this story's being told to the king so that the king would have compassion on her and would restore back to her everything that had been taken from her. Of course, it's not a coincidence at all. It's not a coincidence at all. God wants to restore things back to her the same way. Come on, that it it had been restored back to her before. It's restored back to her again because God, come on, was ordering her steps every step of the way. Every step of the way, God is ordering it. And why do I believe? Why do I believe that, that God would have such favor on her? This is a woman who is full of faith. You see it in the way that she lives. You see it in the way, come on, that she acts, that she was a woman full of faith, full of, uh, she, just, she, she noticed, come on, when God was doing things around her and she responded to the promptings of God. This is the difference between us going through life and just feeling like, come on, God doesn't care about me. Come on, there's, there's things, yeah, they happen, but that's all just happening by coincidence. And noticing, all right, God, I believe that your hand is working in this, in this uh, situation right now. God, I believe that you're going to do something right now. Come on. She was believing. She was believing. She was believing. She noticed. She noticed the prophet. She noticed the prophet passing by the house. And she said, okay, let's build a room for him. Let's build room for him. First thing we need to do, come on, Lord, I, I, I'm noticing some, some things changing. God, I'm noticing some things in my life. Lord, I need to build some room in my house. Come on, let's build some room in our house today. Come on, we, we, got, we got a house right here. God, I need to build some room for you. Come on, you need to come. Lord, I need to build some room. Let's build some space. Let's clear out some things, God, in our life right now so that you have room in here to begin to do a work. And I, I need some space in my life so that you can come in. You can re- reside right here inside of this room in my house. And then we see the faith of this woman. When, when she went, when her son had died, what were the words that came out of her mouth? When Gehazi asked, is all well? She said, all's well. All is well. It reminds me of Horatio Spafford, the, the author of the, the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. You know the story of his life, of what came to that moment, he had just lost his entire family, all of his business, everything in the great Chicago fires, lost it all, lost his, uh, all he had, I believe was, uh, was a a couple of his his children, but, um, here he is, and, and now he's crossing over, um, or I guess he had had lost all of his business, and then, and then his, I believe his wife died in a, um, in in a ship that sank in the middle of the ocean. Now here he is, 
riding on another ship closely behind that. And they get to the spots where that ship had gone down. And that, and that moment is when he wrote the words of that hymn. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. How can it be well with my soul? It's because I understand, God, that you order everything, God, and I still trust you. God, I still trust you. Come on, this woman, she had faith enough. It is well. I I don't understand why all this is going on, but I have faith to believe that it is all going to be well. Come on, I still have faith to know, Lord, that you are still ordering, God, and things are going to happen perfectly. And I, I may be frustrated. I may not understand why this is happening, but I still believe it is well. Come on. When we made room for him in our heart, then we have room to say it is well in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of the the mistakes and everything going on around me that feels so messed up. I still believe it is well. God, I trust you. God, order my steps. This is a woman of faith. She was speaking in faith. When your world gets turned upside down, Just turn to him and say, Lord, it's well. As long as I abide in you, as long as I stay in you, God, it is well. If we go to the New Testament, we see some very close friends of Jesus, Mary and Martha. These are two sisters that we see them throughout the Gospels and throughout that Gospel story of these two women, how they were close, they become friends of Jesus, and we don't know all the circumstances that led to that, but they had a brother who was a friend of Jesus as well. His name was Lazarus. Word got to Jesus, word was sent, a message was sent to Jesus that Lazarus had fallen ill. And Lazarus is there and not only had fallen ill, but Jesus knew that this was an illness that would lead to his death. Now here they were in, in, a, in a place where Jesus had, and, and his disciples, they had, they had just been in, in this area and they had, had stones thrown at them. They had been tried to been trying to kill them. This is in John chapter 11. We can read about this. It says it was in Bethany where Lazarus was at. Word was sent to Jesus. It's, they said, that one that you love, your, your brother, your, your friend, he is he's sick. And so when Jesus hears about this, his response to the messenger in response to his disciples who are there, he says, oh, this sickness is not unto death. For the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now it says that Jesus, he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, what did he do? He stayed. It says that he abode there for two days, still in the same place where he was. He wasn't in a hurry at all. When your friend says... Come and see my brother because he's sick. We know that you can heal him. You would think that Jesus would respond and come right away. But Jesus, it says, he just stayed there for two more days. Well, we get down to this. All of a sudden, two days later, Jesus, he turns to his disciples and he says, Okay, 
I think it's about time we get going. Let's go and see Lazarus. And they said, well, why? Why? I mean, you don't seem that concerned about him. But Jesus, he says, oh, he's, uh, you know, he, he's asleep. Well, if he's just asleep, why do we need to go and see him? Don't you remember? We were just getting, about to be stoned in Bethany. Jesus says, okay, let me just, let me just talk to you straight. He's dead. Now, all of a sudden, they, they're like, well, then why'd we stay here? Why'd we stay here for two days if he's dead? And Jesus, in John eleven fifteen, he says these words, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let's go to him. Lazarus is dead. I think it's about time we go. Four days later, four days after Lazarus dies, Jesus arrives on the scene. And it was perfect timing for Jesus to arrive on the scene. Lazarus, dead for four days, looks like all hope is gone. Oh, was it a coincidence that Jesus missed this by four days? It wasn't coincidence at all. This is God, come on, ordering the steps in a perfect order so that we could see the glory of God, so that we could see, come on, God's hand is in all of this. And when he begins to step onto the scene, he goes into that tomb where Lazarus was. And they say, oh, it's going to stink in there. Lazarus has been dead for four days. You don't want to go in there. Jesus, he says, roll away the stone. He steps in there and he says, Lazarus, come on out. And Lazarus, who had been dead for four days, he comes on out. He takes off his grave clothes and he comes walking out of the grave. Come on, when Jesus steps onto the scene, it's not just a coincidence that he arrived four days late. It was so that we could see the glory of God. Come on, there's somebody here today and you say, Jesus, you've been way too late too many times in my life. How can I trust you? And Jesus says, I've never been late. I've always been right on time. If you trust me, come on, if you put your light, your mind, your hand, if you put your life in my hands, come on, then you'll understand that all things work together for good to them who love God. Come on, it doesn't matter. Come on, Jesus is always right on time. It doesn't matter where you're at today. It's not a coincidence that you're hurting. Or it doesn't, it's not a coincidence. Come on, that you're here today and you're saying, I don't understand the chaos that's going on around me. Come on, the coincidence is, come on, that Jesus has stepped in right on time. Come on, and he wants to meet you in this place today. Come on, if you need to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, come on, today's the day. It's not a coincidence that you are in this house today. Jesus wants to meet you here. Jesus wants to meet you. Come on, we have the water that's ready up here. You can be baptized. You can have your sins washed away. It's not a coincidence that you're here in this moment. It's not a coincidence that you would hear this message today. Come on, that you would feel the calling of God or the drawing of God. Say, come closer, come closer, come closer. Hallelujah, hallelujah, come on. I'm not going to speak much longer. I want some response. Come on, with somebody who has been feeling the calling of God today, come on, would you respond to him and say, Lord, you have ordered my steps. 
God, you've ordered my steps for this moment, for this time. So, God, I'm going to give you praise. Come on, maybe it's someone, maybe it's you today. And you say, God, I've been going through it all. I don't know what to do now. And he just says, give me some praise. Come on, give me some praise. Give me some praise. Come on, God, it's going to be all right. God, it's going to be all right. All is well. All is well. God, I don't know why I'm going through it, but all is well. Come on, it's not a coincidence that you're late. If you need a miracle today, Jesus is here right now. Come on, the miracle worker is here right now. It's not a coincidence that you would step into the very place where the miracle could take place. Come on, you are here, and the miracle worker's here. Come on, so reach out to him and say, Come on, come on, come on. I need it. God, I need it. Lord, I'm tired of sitting back. God, I'm tired of just sitting back and watching others get blessed by you. God, it's my turn. It's my turn. Come on, it's your turn today. It's your turn today. Would you respond to him? Come on, he's reaching for you right now. He's reaching for you right now. Come on, there's somebody he's saying, come closer. Come closer. I'm calling you to me. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on, maybe you're hurting today. Maybe you're hurting. Maybe it's emotional pain or it's physical pain. Well, whatever it is, it's not coincidence. Come on, that you would be here right now. Come on, God is able. God is able to meet your every need. Well, this is the reason that we gather is so we can come together and pray for the needs of each other. Come on, would you just come to God and present your need to him? That's all he's asking for. Come to me. Put your faith in me. Trust me. Know that I can do it. Know that I can do it. Know that I can do it. Come on, he's calling you right now. He's calling you right now. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It was on the day of Pentecost that 120, they gathered intentionally in Jerusalem. 
120 that gathered together intentionally on Jerusalem, in Jerusalem to receive the promise that God had for them. But there were 3,000 that just by coincidence happened to be there in the right moment, in the right time. And it says that when they began to question what's happening with this 120 that's intentional about what God's doing in their life, the 3,000, they received the overflow from those who were intentional about reaching out to God. It was a coincidence that they were there. God ordered that. God lined that up. Come on. But there was the overflow of those who were intentional. Come on. Let there be somebody here today who would be intentional about reaching out to God and saying, Lord, use me right now. Come on. There are those right now. Come on. That God needs to do a miracle in their life. There's somebody right now who God needs to intervene. Come on. And would you be intentional and say, Lord, use me. God, use me as your vessel. Help me, oh God, Lord, to, Lord, to, to, Lord, to just speak God your word words as you speak them Lord let somebody receive the overflow Come on, would you help somebody, Terry, for the Holy Ghost? Come on, we got somebody that needs to spill with the Holy Ghost. Come on, there's somebody right now. Hallelujah, God is here right now. Come on, this is the moment. Don't you leave this altar. Don't you leave this place until God, come on, has reached down and he's filled you. Come on, with the baptism that will change your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.